Hello and welcome to Rear View, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew and this is episode 25. I'm delighted to say hello and welcome to my guest Jim Holder. Straight away I'm going to ask Jim to introduce himself as he's going to do a much better job at it than me. Thank you very much. Uh, I have the slightly elongated job title of editorial director of Autocar, Piston Heads and Watcar, which in layman's terms means I have sort of oversight of the three titles and spend a lot of time planning the long-term strategy for all three of them. Ah, well, that was going to be one of my questions because I, I did know that that was your title and I was, I was wondering what that meant. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, because, I mean, just to, to, to go straight on to that little bit there, Obviously, you do have to plan ahead um, because you you know. I mean, I would imagine it goes around things like because part of the reason of the, of the of the chat is to is to help me understand what it goes into what your job is and how what effort goes into making that happen. So um, because I'm very nosy, really is, is the <laughs> is, is the short answer. There's no um, secrets here. <laughs> but I, I'm guessing then that your planning has uh, will be in line with future models that are coming out, launches, shows, things like that, uh, and maybe special anniversaries. Yeah, I think that that is a fair assessment. Although I would say, uh, and I would stress that we have three very capable, super excellent editors of the free titles and and really day-to-day it's their responsibility to look after those titles uh so my my life at the coalface for now is is reasonably limited so by long term i'm talking more you know without making it sound too grand but a, a web strategy for instance or a print strategy or how we can tie the two together or perhaps how two of our brands can work together uh to be more effective than if they work apart uh so so the editors are running the show day to day on their brands. Uh, obviously, I interfere and make a nuisance of myself uh, wherever I can. But really, <laughs> really, it's up to them to to, to make it fly. Uh, and then I'm trying to look, you know, months, uh, maybe years. Although I may be uh, overstating my own importance there. But we're, we're trying to look ahead. You know, it's it's a changing industry uh, and it's changing quickly. And a little bit of future gazing uh, without too much chin stroking is is probably a good thing. Mm. I will probe later on the, on those things because there's there's quite a lot there that you said that I, I, I particularly want to to drill into. But um, first of all, uh, I'd like to uh, go back and um, obviously you have some sort of interest in cars and not just <laughs> being an editor or editorial director. So I was just wondering, do you recall or have you been told um, by the family? Uh, where they'd laugh and say, oh, there he was at the bottom of the steps <laughs> pointing out all the cars as they went past at six months old. Well, it, do you know when you first got really interested in cars? Uh, I do, uh, but I am, I'm going to have to make the confession, I was a bit of a, a late developer um, in that I didn't have a huge interest in cars until really I became a teenager and my best friend at school was an absolutely besotted Formula One fan, motor racing fan, and, and that really was my entry point to it. Not really road cars, but but first of all racing and, and in time uh, rallying and other forms of motorsport. Uh, and sort of by, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, I was pretty obsessional. It was the, the, the Mansell era, uh, quickly followed by the, the Hill era. Uh, and I was pretty much absorbing every piece of information I could from 
be it the newspapers, television, good old CFAX, page yes. 360 that will, you know, <laughs> people of a certain age remember. Um, so, yeah, all, all I could, but I, I was definitely a, a late bloomer. No, that's, that's excellent. We, we, um, it, so far, I've been regaled by how people were very young and they were always, and they've always been into it from there. So, um, so it was the motorsport side of things. I mean, to be fair, with F1, that was a pretty cracking time to be interested yeah. in it. It's not like, say, perhaps recent years where it's been a bit harder to, <laughs> uh, to be uh, an all-out fan all the time. Um, but when did that transfer into um, road cars? Yeah, again, quite late. So I, uh, I, I started out in uh, motor racing journalism. Uh, I joined motor, what was the name? Motoring News, now Motorsport News, um, back in 1996, the year Damon was winning the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I stayed in motorsport for pretty much, I'm going to have to do the maths, 10 years. Uh, and then really, when I got married and, and had kids and, and wanted weekends, uh, again, uh, rather than spending them at race circuits or <laughs> dusty rally tracks, uh, that's when when the, the sort of road car fixation came in. And I know that sounds desperately cynical, uh, you know. And, and I'm meant to have grown up loving road cars, and it was always my passion. They were a passion, but it, it grew later and slower, uh, and uh, developed in a different way. And if I'm brutally honest, when I made the transition, I, I went from editing motoring news to being deputy editor on what cars website uh and and you know you could look at my cv and i could claim to you it was a deeply visionary moment where i realized i had to get out of print and join one of the the most successful car websites and fulfill my ambitions around road cars but it was a little bit of a blundering move that turned out to be uh, a very wise one uh, a very lucky one um and and i still didn't know then if i'm honest i didn't know uh how deep my passion for road cars would be uh and and thankfully it bloomed <laughs> and it, it blossomed and and you know I am now as obsessive as many a person in in some regards but uh, definitely it, it came later and and I fumbled my way into it like all good teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were in school uh, and you 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 went on to um, start your career in uh, motorsport journalism, did you actively uh, pursue that career? Did you um, make choices with classes and lessons that would propel you that way, or university, or, or however you went you went through? Yeah, it's it's difficult. That is a very difficult one to say. I didn't realise that you could really make a career of it. You know, I was reading autosport. I was reading. Well, I was reading autosport through school. Uh, then I went to university and realised I had even less money and, and started reading motorsport news and motoring news. Sorry, uh, <laughs> and and yeah, <laughs> showing my age again. Um, and actually, I quite liked the tone of voice of MN. Uh, I liked the, it. Felt much less serious, much less pompous, if I'm honest. Uh, and it felt far more part of a club that I could relate to. Uh, and I think that's when it really sort of came alive for me. And I thought, you know these people are speaking to me and and I'd like to to be part of that. So they just by chance around Christmas time one year, I think advertised a job. Uh, I still had a year and a half of uni to go, but I don't know why, but I thought I'd just have a go. Uh, And I got interviewed, met the people Uh, behind it. uh, The editor then uh, was Mark Skewis, who 
was one of the most impressive and uh, and sort of in his own way inspirational guys. Uh, although I think he'd laugh to hear that description, uh, but he was very honest with me. He said, "Don't leave university. Don't don't be ridiculous. Just finish your degree." But while you're there, do some some freelance reporting for us. So that's what I did. Um, admittedly, he sent me to Pembrey in uh, in Wales when I was at university in Reading. So that was about a, a six <laughs> six seven eight hour round trip. But you know, if you want to test someone's dedication to the the arts, yeah, that was certainly one way to do it. And I was we're, stupid we're enough sure to do it. We're going to make sure you like this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, showing you all the glamour in one absolutely. trip. <laughs> I've uh, I've got a great affinity for West Wales, I have to say. So <laughs> anyway, so so that was that. It turned out all right, and and I was lucky when I left university. Uh, a few months later, there was a job at Autosport, and and it kind of all developed from there. When you moved, um, well, when you were in uh, Autosport, mm. um, what were the sort of things you were covering? Was it all all types of races, or were you um, yeah. particular to a a, a racing series? So I was incredibly blinkered and, and really when I joined, my only interest and passion was Formula One, uh, like a lot of people. Uh, yeah, you watched it on telly, you got into it that way. And of course, Formula One is not what motorsport is about and it's certainly not what cub reporting is about. Um, so I, I had to learn and, and my first full-time job was what was amusingly but very non-specifically termed a sporting scene, which was pretty much everything that nobody else wanted to write about. So that was everything from go-karts, hill climbing, stock cars, um, hot rods, uh, it, it, all the fringes of motorsport, but mm. all the fringes that that uh, make the sport what it is and really are the fabric of the sport. So you, you were either going to love it or you are going to loathe it. Uh, and I loved it. Uh, and you met some really fantastic people, some proper characters, you know, uh, <laughs> stock car racing, particularly they like a world champion. Everyone's a, a world champion. If you win a championship, uh, <laughs> and, you know, I met the, the world champion who wasn't Damon Hill. Uh, he, he'd won the national hot rod world final. Uh, and, and by day he, he was probably, uh, owned a scrapyard or something and, mm. and threw a spanner around and they were just great, great people. And, and that's how I fell in love with it. And, and the traditional path, on MN at the time was do a couple of years of that uh, and then back onto the more traditional route of sort of national racing, Formula 3. Um, and then I actually left. I went to join a sports agency in Hitchin and uh, went and covered Formula 1 for the, the heady heights of all of six months uh, before I came back to MN to cover the World Rally Championship. Um, and really, yeah, that was a lesson for me because... Uh, I learned an awful lot when I went to the agency. I learned how to write quickly. I learned how to write accurately. Uh, I was writing the Formula One reports uh, for the the Daily Star, Daily Telegraph, and Reuters. And if you want free contrasting styles, more contrasting <laughs> styles, you have, you have to look a long way. And and literally, as that checkered flag fell, I was filing the first report for Reuters. You'd then do the other two, and then you'd update the Reuters one. Um, so you learn to write quickly, and and the same story in a lot of different ways. And Although it was a pathetic six-month sojourn uh, to to that agency, it probably taught me everything that, that has stood me in good stead ever since. Um, so, so that was really how I did it, and and it was it was absolutely my bedrock. Now is is all types of motorsport, and actually, as you touched on earlier, last season I think I watched one Formula One race. I, I've really got very little interest in sport now, which is pretty sad when you think how obsessive I was uh, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, but I will quite happily. I'd love to go and watch some more rallies. I'd love to go and uh, you know this weekend I'm hoping to go to Wimbledon to watch the stock cars. 
uh, with my son, and and that really for me is what motorsport is about now. Mm, yeah, no, I I uh, I used to be quite obsessive about um, World Rally Championship, and then sort of just just stop watching it. But this year I've been fascinated again. I think they've done a great job. Yes. Um, with the the manufacturers who've come on board, the cars look suitably crazy. Yeah, I um, agree. Which is a big thing, I think. It's a big pull. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, touching on my lucky career, I ended up covering. I didn't really know anything about rallying, but somehow got talked into covering it in uh, 1999, 2000, and 2001. So proper sort of Burns era, Mark Scrollholm era, McRae and his pomp, uh, and. And, and I covered it, and then like you, I, I lost interest in it. You know, I suppose the mid two thousands. Uh, but this year, it does look sensational, and those cars look sensational. So uh, and, yeah, very and there's, there's different. There's different winners each time at the moment as well. Which yeah, it's I think great. helps. It means that there's a genuine interest across the board. Um, yeah. So when was the last time that, someone knocked? <laughs> yeah, Sebastian <I> won. <laughs> yes, quite. Um, Sorry, I, I, I just digressed a little bit there. So when you uh, moved from um, the motorsport journalism into uh, the more, uh, I don't know, what, what's, what would be the correct phrase? Would it be traditional? Well, it's uh, more mainstream car um, yeah. journalism, I suppose. Sorry, I was trying to work it out myself then. <laughs> it's just, um, but into uh, sort of consumer car journalism. What uh, I mean, obviously, there's there's big differences in what you are reporting because this, you know, you're talking about a car as opposed to an event. But um, from a, a a style of information, what what were the differences for you, or, or how you had to approach something? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good question. The main thing that, that you realise very quickly is that motorsport. Uh, is is like a a pimple uh, on 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 the side of a car company. It, it's it's like a, a fraction of a marketing budget, and, and for all you can be absorbed in that world, and for all you can marvel at the hundreds of millions of pounds that a Formula One team spends, they they are still that pimple uh, of the in the machine of a car company if they're a manufacturer team, mm. and and it's it, it's obviously much more regimented, much less personality driven uh, in the road car business. Uh, and and it works to a diary, and and in order to get stories that don't conform to the, the sort of PR machine, you really do have to work a lot harder, uh, and and you have to you have to have a real depth of understanding, I suppose, of the of the industry and the background. There's a lot of stuff that you can just work out for yourself by by knowing enough uh, and applying common sense, uh, and and that was a bit different, I suppose, in the racing world. You could have contacts and you could have people who could feed you information um but it was much more personality driven than than the road car side of it and and back then certainly much less uh, pr driven so what would be your typical daily duties when you got to what car oh there's a question uh so 10 years ago now uh this was back in the, the days of the website the website was well established but uh it was uh it was it was kind of a corner of the office really what car was still very much a, a print dominated title with an incredibly successful website uh and and that the remarkable thing with there was that it was probably around that time that the website was already making more money than than the print magazine but but the way we worked didn't reflect that uh so my job really was to come in every day 
write, I had to uh, sort of write a minimum number of news stories each day because we had uh, syndication partners who were expecting that number of sto- stories, and really to support the reviews. Uh, what car, as you know, is principally a reviews website. People mm-hmm. go there to find out whether they should buy a car. Uh, but I wasn't really writing reviews so much as writing news that could support that. So be it a, a pricing story or a consumer story or, or some kind of sort of rallying call around uh, one of the sort of campaigning topics that WhatCar is quite famous for. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were pretty naive then. We were, I had a brilliant boss uh, by the name of Ian Reid, our name chicken, make him blush, uh, who, who <laughs> taught me a lot. And he, he, he understood SEO and he understood the technical workings behind uh, the website, but I, if I'm honest, I had absolutely no idea. Uh, and if you came into journalism now and said that, you, you'd probably be walked out the door immediately. So, so it was a learning experience, a real learning experience. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose then it was, it was a little bit wild westy um, on the internet for, uh, and I, I, I mean, this is something I wanted to touch on later on, but I, I think it's sort of come up now. It still feels a bit wild west out there where people's sites and organizations still seem to be trying to work out what they want to do what they want to provide and is that what people want at the other end of it yeah and if it is how is anyone prepared to pay for any of this as well yeah because i think that's a major problem um for 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 everyone is that so many people expect information for free now, and it is very easy to get this information for free now. So, we, you know, that that door has been opened. So it's at what point you can add some sort of revenue stream in that doesn't drive people away. Yeah, I think uh, that therein lies a conundrum for all of us. I'm very fortunate uh, that we have free websites that are all profitable and and actually extremely profitable but it's uh you know that the, these are their brands with a, a lot of equity a, a lot of trust um and and the way we make money is is very simple predominantly uh you know around selling the display advertising against uh the review content uh by and large it's not quite that simple but that, that is by and large how it works uh and and that now is a declining model in itself so we have to get a bit smarter and and we have a few ideas uh, around how to do that um but uh yeah it is a wild west uh, there is a, a huge variety of quality and integrity online um and even the big players are, are messing with the boundaries there and and there's different ways of trying to make money uh some people are chasing a big audience and and they'll sell any advertising against just scale they'll just mm. claim to have huge scale and and then there's people who who will take a, a very sharp focus and and have a very dedicated audience um who completely buy into their values and therefore you know they have a value to advertisers uh and and how you tread that path is is incredibly difficult uh and and how you do it with integrity in the face of uh the pressure of of making enough money uh is is definitely making some people crack uh, and, 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 and pushing some people into areas are, you know, they are clearly not comfortable being in. Um, mm. when, you, when you read stories and, and, and look at what a brand, which you understood to be something, is doing, you know, it's when it's doing something completely different, then that becomes a very uncomfortable place. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. I I don't think anyone has fully resolved that, and I think it will be ever changing um, as well. But it it really does feel that everybody's sort of stumbling about and going, "Oh, what is it we're trying to do?" And 
without getting too management consultancy, uh, you do <laughs> you do have to go back to what your core values are and what you, the the whole idea of your site or your YouTube channel or your magazine is all about. What is it you 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 think you are providing, and it's how best to provide that with what is possible. So, um. Yeah, it's it's not easy, uh, and you know this is. I mean, I did mention it to you before we press record. I mean, I I think looking at all the content that is produced um, to do with the motoring world, that being connected with a print magazine seems to be one of the most insane things to do at the <laughs> moment from a pressure point of view, because it seems like from the outside it looks like there's attacks from all sides because there's you know anybody can start a website. Uh, anybody can go on Twitter and get information. You still want people to buy the magazine, but then you've got a, um, invariably you have a web presence as well. Um, so it's, it's managing that balance. Um, it, it just seems like such an incredibly hard position to be in. Um, have you aged recently <laughs> in, in a serious way? <laughs> I've got sort of got a bit- Got some grey hair now, so uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, it, it is hard. Uh, I have to say, um, you know, I repeat again, I, I'm not in the front line now, and and it, they are the guys who who take it uh, on the chin week in week out in in, in terms of auto car and, and every month in terms of what car, uh, and and you know, in terms of relentless pressure, definitely without a question, the, the, the weeklies take it. Take it uh, harder, faster, <laughs> more yeah. uh, than than anyone. Uh, and and there is a, there is a cycle there. You know, I don't think it's any coincidence that editors on on Autocar, you know, traditionally, certainly in, in recent years, they have. It's not a long term career. Uh, maybe in the olden days it was before the web. But uh, in, you know, I did two and a half years, and, and will freely admit that after after two, I'd probably used up all my ideas. Hmm. Um, uh, it's a it's a tough old job. It's like being beaten by around the head with a cricket bat, and, and you come back for more uh, every week. But it, it is also the best job in the world. Uh, you you can do so much, uh, and and you can do so much uh, that complements between print and online. Uh, and and you have so many opportunities uh, to, to do things, to be creative, to work with designers. Uh, to, to really make stories that bit better, magazine craft is is something that's really special, um, and and it's not a skill uh, that is applied online uh, nearly as much. For all its immediacy, online uh, design and and changes just take forever by comparison to print. So if if you're fast thinking, agile thinking, uh, and, and creative. Uh, you you can make something really special with a magazine. When you look at some of the the work the monthlies do and and the weeklies, and, and just turning stories that bit further, yeah. You know, the, the way I always judge a, a print title is to look at the sidebars and look at the the, the cleverness that that goes in and, and how they can add layers uh, of information that that you just won't take in on a website or you won't be able to present in such a compelling way. Um, and, and some of the mags at the moment, not all of them, uh, some of them are just doing so. And I'm not just talking about my own titles. Um, <laughs> some of them do a fantastic job, and, and I really admire that. And, and you won't get the same experience out of a website as you will uh, from a magazine. Uh, you, you might get a different experience, and it might be a superior experience in many regards, but they, they're not the same 
things uh, and, and treating them as the same thing is is not a recipe for success. No, I, I definitely agree. I think of all the, the ways you can consume information now, each of them is uh, is different and you are going to that medium for a different reason. Um, you know, whether it's time or whether it's uh, part of your routine or whether it's because you want to, you know, say if it's a magazine or I want to get a story behind the story, um, you know, it's a website or I can do that on my phone just as I'm going in commute or a podcast, you know, I can just do that while I'm walking around or YouTube, you know, because people don't watch so much telly, you know, all these things. I think people are going to these different mediums for different reasons, um, which must be quite exciting for the car manufacturers that they they have this potential to reach people that they weren't reaching in a particular way before you know back before the internet you know back in those in the good old days that probably just you and I remember now um yeah. <laughs> but but I think it must be exciting um for the car manufacturers uh, not that you can properly answer that but for them because they, no. there, there is all these opportunities now there there are a lot more opportunities and 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 i dread to be you know i'd hate to be the one who's trying to measure uh, or or push in all the different directions you know the the only thing i would say in and the conversation i have is you know beware the emperor's new clothes uh just because it's new doesn't make it better uh but there are new things that are better but uh we you know just we are seen as traditional media but we have uh, a strong competency in a lot of the new media, stronger than than a lot of the new media startups, uh, and we have established audiences uh, uh, built around very, very uh, sensibly thought through uh, strategies. Uh, so yeah, there are many more outlets, and, and absolutely, without question, I admire a lot of of the, the some of the, the new players in the field. But uh, I also would say, you know, we are there. We we are there at the forefront. We we are trying most of these things, and, and we do them very well. Um, which sounds very braggish, but I, I don't mean it that way. <laughs> I just I just mean, you know, we well, it do sounds what we like do, you've and made we do deliberate well. steps in in the way in the ways that you've dipped your toes or moved into particular areas. It's been mm-hmm. a deliberate step. It's been mm-hmm. thought through. Whereas. Um, Smaller organisations or individuals don't have or, or aren't approaching it perhaps that way. They perhaps they're approaching it the, um, uh, the the sort of the, the startup type mentality of um, fail fast, fail often, and move on to the next thing type, uh, almost scattergun approach until they find it, uh, something that works for them. Whereas I, I I would suggest, and again I don't know because I'm not. <laughs> obviously in there with a with a known name like the, your three publications uh you can't it's it's harder to to make that or to take that sort of approach you need to be a bit more deliberate and a bit more um thought through for fear of or well, maybe not fear of but you the, you don't need any backlash on it yeah, we're risk averse uh, to yes, a degree. A we're risk averse, <laughs> um, and, and whatever we do, you know, it has to play to our, our traditional strengths. You know, one of my challenges is, is how would you make what car work uh, through social media? We you know what car is very uh, straight laced, conservative. 
competitive title in many regards. Mm. Um, and how, how do you make that work in social media? How do you make that work in video? And actually, I'm, I'm totally convinced it can work. I'm not convinced we've nailed it yet, but you know, you only have to look as far as Martin Lewis and, and money saving experts know that there is a tone of voice out there that, that can work for that mindset. Um, but we, we just have to, you know, we're not just trying new formats because they're new. We have to, to, apply our values to that format and, and work out how best uh, to, to maintain our values while using them. Um, but, you know, but by the same token, you know, people say you're not risk averse. Well, here we are from an auto car perspective with half a million subscribers on YouTube. Uh, and, and we've definitely stretched our brand values uh, on, on that channel. We, we've done stuff that people might Thing is not traditional auto car, be it a drag race, be it recently uh, trying to drift a Subaru BRZ while one guy <laughs> operates the acceleration with a broomstick and the other one uh, steers. Um, yeah, and and I think what what we have to remember is is just staying true to our values. You know, auto car is about the love of the car and having fun. And if that mm. turns into a bit of a silly video, well, why not? Why why not do that? And and as long as every video we make isn't a silly video. You know, we we can mix and match and, and give everyone a bit of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just plotting our way through that, really. You're you're in uh, what car deputy editor? You claim you're fumbling about and don't know what you're doing on the internet. Um, <laughs> so what? How long were you in that role, and what did you move on to after that? Yeah. Good, good question. You're testing my memory now. Um, I should have got my CV. Out I, to, I told I you there's you. a test in. <laughs> it's a job interview as well. Um, uh, don't ask me about my GCSE results. I'm in real trouble. Uh, um, uh, so I went. I switched to Autocar then, uh, and, and uh, I switched to their website. I was deputy editor of their website, although there was no editor of the website. There was just an overall editor of the brand at the time. Uh, and it was it was properly in at the deep end uh, because it, although I had a news background uh, from the motorsport side, uh, and I had a, a, to a degree a news background from the what car side, but it was very much consumer news and, and sort of top line road car news. There was certainly no worrying about spy pictures or scoops or, or persuading uh, bosses of the car companies to say slightly more than they wanted to. <laughs> uh, but the beauty of Autocar, and, and it, the same is true of Wattcar, but but in a different way. The, the beauty of Autocar is the experience and the expertise. And I'm not saying there isn't any experience or expertise on Wattcar before I get shot. Uh, but but when you walk into Autocar, uh, as long as you're prepared to admit your, your, uh, your strengths and your weaknesses, uh, there are people around you who can fill in the gaps uh, and can really bring you on. Uh, and an auto car really has a, a, a reputation as being a sort of breeding ground for automotive writing talent, if I can use those three words. Uh, you know, and, and some fantastic journalists have come through the ranks of auto car. And I think it's it's the pace of how they work from from the website turning out you know, 10, 20 stories a day through to that weekly churn of, of the print title through to the fact that they fight on all fronts, you know, with the autocar ethos is, is the love of the car. And that might be a Dacia Sandero or it might be a Ferrari. So so there really are no limits for autocar. So everything is happening very, very quickly. Uh, so you, I think you sink or swim, uh, but but the opportunity is there to learn fast. So I was deputy editor on the website there uh, for a couple of years uh, before switching back, you know, like a game of ping pong. I went back to what car afterwards to edit the magazine. Uh, uh, and again, there was an overall brand editor and I was editing the magazine. 
which uh, lasted for, I think, just over a year before the, the brand editor uh, decided to uh, leave for another company, uh, uh, which, of course, opened opportunities and, and there was another shuffle. And I think probably against expectation, uh, especially against, uh, uh, against my own expectation, uh, I managed to become editor of Autocar. And, and for me, that's, that's kind of when life clicked. Um, I went in there, you know, hopefully having some idea of what I was going to do, but uh, also not knowing enough to have the confidence to, to just go in and say, this is what we're going to do. So I had to listen. I had to listen a lot to to other people. And, you know, I think perhaps more, more than they were expecting, uh, ask their advice. And of course, when you start asking people for their advice, I hope they, they feel involved and, and they feel valued. Uh, and, and it really played quite well for me because I could grow my own confidence while drawing on the experience of others. Um, and, and that really was uh, a, a fantastic two and a half years of editing Autocar. What do you think makes good editing? And do you think that is different from what is a good editor? Oh, now there's a question. Um, I think... I think you have drawn a very clever distinction. Uh, I think the best, I think there's different ways of being great editors. Uh, I think I would say that the, the, the risk is always being too hands-on uh, and getting too involved in the nitty-gritty. Uh, and I would say the best editors uh, surround themselves with good people and aren't afraid to let those good people be seen as good people. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of egos at play uh, and there's a lot of clamouring uh, for attention. Uh, and <laughs> I, I, always, I don't feel any need for that. Not, and I'm not, uh, I'm not pointing fingers and I'm not claiming to be better than anyone else. But uh, if, if, you, if you're surrounded by experts, uh, the rest of the world can also see that they're experts and they should get the recognition they deserve. Uh, and you just... It's about being comfortable in taking the reflected glory rather than trying to take the actual glory. Yep. Um, and and I, for me, that's the best editing, especially on a, a big title, uh, is is when you've got someone who quite clearly is steering the ship without having to shout about it. Uh, and and I hope <laughs> I hope no one's <laughs> listening to this thinking, you know, that arrogant so and so doesn't know what he's talking about. He's forever treading on my toes. Um, <laughs> Uh, I shall, are, I shall wait for DMs to yeah. come into my Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and then you can bribe me with it all. <laughs> so, did you? Um, okay, you're you're surrounded by um, clearly people you think are very good at what they do. Yeah, they are experts in their field. Um, you are confident in your team. Did you have to do much uh, work on inf- you know the, the the work they were producing? Um, did, did did that by that stage with the people you were working with? Did you still have to, um, you know, maybe rejig a story or, you know, trim stuff out or help help people, um, you know, hone their craft a bit? Yeah, it, it certainly uh, some some you do, some you don't, um, and I think it's incredibly healthy. In fact, I think it's crucial that you always have a mix of experience in the team. Uh, so we can't expect someone you know who's just started out to be as good as someone who's been doing it for forty years, and and we have to remember that and and be conscious of it. Uh, but I yeah you know, I'm not uh, taking 
the credit here. We we have uh, teams of journalists, we have uh, team leaders uh, across different divisions, be it reviews or news, uh, and, and they're in the front line of trying to help develop these guys. We we have an incredible resource uh, in our subs desk. Uh, I know they're not very fashionable among many national newspapers now, but we are <laughs> we're still committed to having subs, uh, and and they are just amazing amazing people who who uh certainly when i reread my copy I, I, sometimes i think god i didn't realize i was that good and of course i'm not that <laughs> good they've just, just they've just made it made it good um and and the you know they're they're good they're pressed for time of course uh and and you know when you think we had as many uh, staff as when we had just a, a print title or anything. I think we may even have had more than when we now have websites and print titles they are pushed for time but, but yes we, we do try and help uh, and we do have to help uh, writers develop and, and, and grow in stature Did you enjoy being an editor? Yeah did I did enjoy uh, being an editor? Yeah yeah, oh, I'm laughing because uh, the, I'm always criticised for not smiling enough, uh, and I think anyone who was watching me may have doubted whether I was enjoying it or not. But it, it was genuinely, it was all-consuming. Uh, more so with auto car uh, uh, than what car because of the pace of it. But it, it, they have different titles. Uh, maybe it's wrong to say that more so, but what car is every bit as stressful and every bit as difficult, but it's a different beast uh, and, and, and in a different way. Uh, and I enjoyed editing both of them uh, very much. Uh, I think I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, so, so, so that sort of weekly cycle of being beaten around the head, uh, I, I love the challenge of that. Um, and, and, and what car it's, it was uh, it's such a beast. It's a big title with big expectations, um, and and that brought enjoyment in, in very different ways uh, in itself. Um, and and obviously, I've I've never directly edited Piston Heads, but I've got huge admiration. There is there is a, a title that knows its voice and and knows how to pursue uh, that tone of voice and, and to give its readers what it wants. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. full of admiration for the people that do it and, and I love doing it uh, when I when I was very much in the front line I'd like to just take a slight change of tack now and mm-hmm. I'd like to ask about your car history <laughs> yeah when did you pass your test and what was the first car you drove after you did pass your test oh, there's a question uh, I was 17 uh, so I wasn't. I was probably about seventeen and a half. It wasn't a. It wasn't a two days after your seventeenth birthday <laughs> job. Uh, I'd had, I think, twelve driving lessons at ten pounds go, and the first car I drove was a my mum's one point four Fiesta, which would have been, oh gosh, maybe a Mark Four. It was. It was the not not the finest Fiesta, but it, it was quite potent for a little car. <laughs> So what was the was that the the first car you drove regularly or what was the first car you drove regularly? Mm, uh, that was the first car I drove regularly and and I didn't really I'm trying to remember now I I, I didn't really get a car until I got uh, that first job. Uh, so I was always borrowing I think probably pretty much that Fiesta uh, for for the trips to Wales uh, to to cover the racing uh, when I was still at university and stuff. Uh, and then when I got the first job, uh, eventually, even though I was going to racetracks every weekend, eventually they they decided they'd let me have a car, which was a very beat up Mazda. 
323F, mm. which uh, I'm terrified you're going to ask me too many technical questions about. What's that the, the pop-up only... headlights? Yeah, well, there you are. That's the only thing I remember about that car. <laughs> it, it was blue and it had pop-up headlights. And uh, and I suppose the, the final thing I remember is that one of my colleagues drove it into the back of a van and that was the end of that. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, it had pop-up headlights. And so I've ticked that box in life. <laughs> So what did you move on to next after the yeah. deceased Mazda? The deceased Mazda, I, I think, was replaced by a, a Citroen, a brown Citroen AX, uh, which which remarkably survived for quite a few years. Uh, and and then I was, this is, I know, deeply uninspiring. I'm, I'm meant to tell you about all the great classics that I owned. But uh, I, I no, went you're a you're a emerging journalist. You've had no money. No, so, okay. no, no, no money and, and no need. Um, so yeah, a succession of Ford Focuses. Uh, uh, I think uh, Mark One, Mark Two, Mark Three. Uh, so that that was the company car of choice at the time. Um, and around that time, I actually, with my own money, bought my first car, which I appreciate is deeply late but i bought it because i wanted to go rallying uh so uh, which sounds fantastic doesn't it and here's a man who went rallying but i bought a one liter nissan micro and took that rallying uh, in the one liter rally championship formula 1000 um so i don't think anyone's going to be deeply impressed by that but uh, i did manage to get through two micros having rolled two micros uh, one of them i managed to uh, salvage and one i had to write off uh, in the space of two years uh, but at five hundred pounds a pop, they you know if you're going to roll a car, they, those were the ones to roll. Uh, although it still makes me wince. Please don't think that five hundred pounds just just goes comes and goes like that. But uh, <laughs> it, it was better better that than a five thousand pound or fifty thousand pound car. Quite. <laughs> so what did you move on to after the uh, rallied micros? The I mean, rallied if, micros. If, how many people have said that in a sentence? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, glory days uh, of the micros. I so that was around that time I moved to Watcar. So uh, I got my first long termer, the mighty Toyota Auris, uh, mm-hmm. which I, I remember very fondly. Um, and then really a succession of this sounds desperately spoiled, uh, which it is a uh, succession of test cars. Um, so uh, I'm trying to think which ones stand out. I tended to get the sort of quite sensible ones. So the, the Volvo XC60, I remember. One of my favourites was Mercedes C-Class. Um, I think, uh, funnily enough, when I became editor of Autocar, I think I finally worked out how to get the best long-termer. So I had a, a little stint in an Aston Vantage. Stop uh, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they didn't make it off your desk. I, I was going to ask whether you, you ever pulled rank. <laughs> <laughs> occasionally you have, it's, a, it's fine arts you, you can't do it all the time but but occasionally i think uh, you should just just take the opportunity uh there was a um a Lotus Savora in there that was that was quite mm. fun of course uh, yeah at this time i had kids so it was uh, deeply impractical but uh it, someone said to me uh, you know if, if you're not going to do it you're a fool uh, and and you're always going to regret it so i would try and mix in in the sensible stuff with with uh, you know Three six month stints and some some of the crazier stuff, uh, and we're we're very very fortunate to do that. Uh, and then uh, in terms of spending my own money, uh, uh, God, everyone everyone's going to fall asleep as I say. We got a Ford C Max when we had the kids, uh, but more interestingly, possibly uh, the last two years we have leased uh, a Renault Zoe, 
uh, which is our family car um, and, and suits us just perfectly. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a niche vehicle, uh, but if you fit inside that niche, it, it works absolutely brilliantly. Uh, yeah, so- I, I'd seen that you'd done that, and I was very interested in that because I believe for a lot more people in this country than they realise, electrified vehicles make a lot more sense. I th- I think, and this is probably my own bias here, but I think people buy their cars for the week or two weeks summer holidays where they go mm-hmm. they drive the other end of the country and have something that is suited for that journey for the other 50 weeks of the year when they don't need something to do that yeah yeah i, I mean that that theory fits in with our, how we use it there are, there are literally three three or four weekends a year when we regret that we've got a zoe uh because we can't get to where we want to get to uh, and of course privileged life where i can borrow a car uh from our pool of test cars and and get around it but mm. uh the honest answer is for all the money we've saved we could just as easily go out and hire a, a car for those three or four weekends and still be quids in uh i think 48 hours with an electric car and most people will be shocked uh and, and feel they don't want to go back there's there's something quite compelling you know if you live in the right area, it's no good living in the middle of the countryside, but there's something quite compelling about that instant talk, about the silence, about the fact you can recharge at home, you don't have to go to petrol stations. Um, it, it really does just work. It works really well, and as the range goes up, I think the niche it will grow and grow, uh, and, and they'll become more and more uh, practical for more and more people, and, and we are going to have to get used to it. You know, Electrification is coming. There's no good being cynical about it. Uh, it's going to happen. So, no, I, so. I, agree. I completely agree with you. I mean, Dieselgate, um, for all its wonders for this podcast, our, our new show, because <laughs> it, it happened the week before we released our first mm-hmm. episode. So it's been through us. It's been with us ever since we started. It's been you grew up with Dieselgate. Yeah. Yes, we, it's been basically our golden thread. And now, now it feels a bit like a millstone, actually, because yeah. <laughs> it, it's still there. Uh, yeah. You would have hoped it would have been dealt with by now, but never mind. Um, it just seems to be getting seedier and seedier as it as time goes on, which was mm-hmm. probably always going to be the case that the dirty laundry was going to be aired much later than the initial hoo has that uh, that came out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been lucky enough to drive a Hyundai Ioniq electric, and mm-hmm. um, I've, recently I spent uh, a couple of days uh, in a Tesla um, and electric cars uh, are different not massively different but that there is a different mindset and attitude once you're behind the wheel of them um yeah. and uh you it's gonna sound daft it, I, when i got back behind my normal car behind the wheel of that i was i was noticing things that i you it just become background noise so i yeah. noticed that there's oh well there's obviously clear things are like an engine noise or a bit of vibration through pedals and things like that to um, the fact that, well, hang on, I'm not making energy as I break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which you suddenly start getting quite stroppy about for a little yep. while because you go, hang on, this is wasted. And yes. it's amazing how how much the technology, you, you adapt to that technology and, and see the the good side of it so quickly. When you when you drive an electric car and it's only got sixty mile range, you know you you do become uh, acutely aware of of 
energy consumption uh, and and there is a sort of slightly strange perhaps but there is a pleasure in that and and the same is true of a petrol or diesel car if you drive on the motorway over 60 miles an hour you're, it becomes uh, incredibly less efficient but of course you don't realize it or if you do realize it you care less about it but when you drive an, an electric car you do become super aware of some of these things and there is there is a real pleasure in in sort of maximizing uh, what you can get out of a car and what you can get out of a given piece of energy mm. do you do you get um interest or strange looks out and about in that or when you say you're going to it in the car park or something like that yeah less and less i would say um it's quite noticeable uh certainly around this part of southwest london that there's quite a lot of teslas about there's quite a few zoe's about as well now Uh, i would say when we got it which was only 18 months ago you know there was a lot of interest and a lot of attention but uh you know, on a daily basis now, one or two will drive past me. Mm. Um, so, so less and less so. I, 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 some people are still surprised by you know the, the funny noise it makes below uh, about twenty miles an hour to to make sure you don't run them over. Uh, <laughs> but but beyond that, it, it, it's less of a talking point. Uh, not so often now that people will wander up in a supermarket car park and ask questions about what if you're up to. Mm. So people are getting used to it. Well, I think the Zoe's the best-looking electric car at the moment that's available. Um, and uh, I, I wonder, are you going to upgrade to the um, to the one that was revealed at Geneva? Yeah, good question. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first thing to say is my wife would entirely agree with your assessment of its looks, and and, and given she's in charge of choosing it, then uh, that that is a very good thing. I I I think we probably will upgrade. Uh, there is. There is a you know there is always an urge to, to or, or, or a temptation to try something different or, or, or move to something else, but it, it's done us so well. We've we've really loved having it. Uh, the only the only slight frustration, I suppose, is that if we're honest, we don't need the extra range. Um, and and obviously prices have gone up because the car now does twice as many miles. But we we would never really need that range, uh, and, and so you end up paying for a battery you don't necessarily want. But uh, this is the tight-fisted mean uh, me but, speaking. But do you think so? Because I mean, you you said there that there was a you know a couple of times a year you've got the ability to use um, you know you've got the ability to use another car for when you need it. Well, do you think you have inhibited your journeys because? You know you've got that range. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're right, and 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 maybe we would use the the Zoe more because we'd be more confident in where we could get to. Um, Our our biggest issue is that when yeah, my in-laws live in West Wales, uh, even further than Pembrey, uh, up in the Priscilla Hills, Uh, and if you're going to try and undertake that kind of journey, that's a 250 mile journey. Uh, you, you're going to have to seriously plan this and be prepared to, for some very patient motorway driving. Uh, so, so yeah, Zoe really isn't a practical option for, for that kind of journey. Um, but, but you might be right. You might, you might, you, you make a good point. Uh, the more miles you have, the, 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 the wider the use you could have. And, and yes, we could perhaps leave the, the diesel car behind more often. Uh, and, and take the, the Zoe. So it's an yeah interesting point. Hmm. Okay, uh, so I want to go back now to um, the uh, editorial directedness of your <laughs> <laughs> to, to to pick a little bit at that because um, 
I'm interested to hear, I mean, you maybe you probably can't go into very specific detail here, <laughs> but how you go about um, approaching the the fact that there are three titles and utilizing them um, in a in a positive and in a advantageous way that doesn't harm the other two. So you're picking one and you, you know, it's not to the detriment of the other two. Um, how much planning has to go in for that? Or is it quite easy because they are very separate, um, brands? Yeah, it's, it's not simple, uh, but it's, it's, it doesn't have to be complicated either. Um, so the beauty of the brands is that they're very clearly defined, uh, you know, over over a, a number of years, over a hundred years in auto cars case, forty years in what cars case, and uh, certainly uh, coming up for a couple of decades in piston heads case, and so so we know who the audiences are, uh, and so we can be reasonably confident in in pushing one title forward for different scenarios. Uh, so yeah, there are cars that are so clearly what car more more relevant to what car than they are for the the other two and there are cars that uh, are much more relevant to auto car or piston heads uh who which the probably two most closely aligned of the three um so so there's usually fairly uh simple uh decisions to be made about you know slicing up the action if we have to uh i think probably one of my bigger frustrations and one of the things i have to push we have to push harder with is, is really if if each of those titles were owned by a separate media company, they'd, they'd each get their space on the launch. They'd each get you know front row tickets mm. for every opportunity. Uh, but because we're owned by one publisher, you know, there is a temptation for the manufacturers to, which which we've been slightly complicit in, to to send one journalist uh, in into to cover the, for two or three of the titles. And there are times when that is entirely practical and entirely sensible. Uh, and there are times when it's just impossible. Uh, and, and we have to fight our corner a bit more and, and, and try and, you know, keep hammering home the fact that, that you know, these are, um, they are major players each in their own right. And, and when you combine the audience, uh, we're certainly, certainly at the top table, we are possibly unrivaled, uh, in, in terms of scale uh, and quality of audience uh, to the manufacturers. So you just have to play to your advantages, I suppose, and, and uh, push the positives wherever possible. Mm. How do you maintain uh, relationships with the manufacturers? Because I, I would imagine it's quite tricky, particularly um, if you are looking for advertising but also, obviously, you have to. I mean, it's 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 it can't be an easy balance, and um, because you you obviously want to get you obviously will produce a review that uh, everybody feels that's fair, that's valid, whatever. But then you know, if if the car that has been produced is not up to snuff, mm-hmm. and you say, well, look, it's it's got these deficiencies in these areas. Are the are the manufacturers um, are they professional enough not to not to react to that, or do you sometimes have to have chats with them 
to to <laughs> explain. So if I, if I tell you that I can I can set my set my weekly calendar to the Wednesday morning phone calls whenever an auto car comes out <laughs> and the the monthly cycle of when a what car comes out and 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 then even you know with the website you know almost to the you know how many hours since we published that review. Yes. Hello, uh, clear my diary for these times, please. Yeah. I need them. To- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there is always a complaint, and there's always an issue, and and even the re- reasonable manufacturers, you know, they they're, they're paid to to fight their corner, mm. um, and and it, it's an interesting debate because whatever I say, I can't can't win. We we are accused of, of bias uh, to every single manufacturer, uh, which which may be true. We <laughs> maybe we like them all. But uh, you know, what yes, one day I'm liking cars. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but the one, the, the interesting thing, which it's interesting to us and, and probably terribly boring to some people, but we've done the we've done the analysis of of our star ratings, uh, and we've compared them to our rivals. And and you know, if you you know, what car is notoriously uh, difficult to please. Uh, Autocar has an inherent love of the car, so it's never going to be quite as punchy. But we're, we're confident that we highlight the shortcomings, uh, perhaps more stringently than than our rivals. Uh, you know, I I have never in my 20 years at Haymarket been asked to change a review because an advertiser's complained. Um, and trust me, they do complain. Uh, one of the reasons I love working for Haymarket and. and Sorry if this is desperately cheesy, but there is an integrity uh, in what we do, and and there is a, a very clearly marked line in the sand between editorial uh, and advertising uh, and and other divisions around around the sort of money making side of it. Well, I don't think that's uh, cheesy. I think that just gives it gives us um, who read uh, or consume the stuff confidence. Then. Uh, I, I know so. I know Alan who has a a weekly subscription to Autocar now rest easy um <laughs> on this uh, and and we do refer to a lot of uh, Autocar um articles when we go through our news show because you know we we aren't the people who are out there producing the news but we will talk around a subject and we will refer back to one or two articles to do with the subject and say, no, if you want to read more, go and read these articles which we used. Yeah, you're very good to us. We and we do our best. Yeah, we we have good contacts, and we 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 try and try and yeah, we're quite proud of our news and, and our content, of course. Yeah, no, no, you sh- you should be, um, you should be. Sorry, sorry. I mean, we're getting all gushing now. Um, yeah, come on, tough journalism here. Yeah. <laughs> Make me sweat. Right. Well, I think um, I think at this point I'm going to move on to the quickfire questions. Okay. Um, so, uh, what I used to try and do, but failed miserably every single episode, was ask you the question, you would answer the question, uh, and then I would move on to the next question. But the problem was. I've realised now that I have I have produced these questions in such a way because I want to then know the second, third, <laughs> and fourth after this. So I'm I'm going to try not to interrupt, but I'm not going to promise that I won't interrupt. Okay. <laughs> or do follow up. <laughs> so uh, I'll start with the first one, which is uh, what currently excites you about the motoring world. Um, the the pace of change. Uh, it's an oft quoted uh, uh, statement that the the you know, the car industry is going to change more in the next five to ten years than it has in the past hundred years uh and 
you can see that as a threat or you can see it as incredibly exciting. And I see it as incredibly exciting. For once, my glass is half full. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So then what worries you about the motoring world? Uh, the integrity and, and and the assault on the integrity of, of the media um, and I you know we've touched on it an awful lot but I, I I get some insights and some scurrilous gossip around some of the some of the games going on and and I I think the uh, as as media companies we have to be careful but I also think as manufacturers. Uh, they need to be careful if, if they, if we, without sounding too Trumpist or, or, or jumping on the fake news bandwagon, if you want good quality journalism, don't start trying to buy journalism. Don't start thinking that your marketing department can influence uh, the journalism, and, and don't start uh, inviting soft touches on your launches uh, because you know you'll get a five star review. Uh, if you want good journalism, then you have to stand by the good journalists. Mm. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, What has been your favourite car to drive and why was that? (laughs) Uh, The favourite car I have ever driven is probably... Oh, there's a tough one. You've, you know, I, I, there are many. Uh, the, one of my favourite long-termers ever was the Dacia Sandero, uh, where we very, I very deliberately chose Britain's cheapest car, uh, mm-hmm. and and then they went and ruined it by putting a radio, a fifty-pound or hundred-pound radio option in it. Uh, they they were trying to be kind. They said, uh, you know, you can't possibly have a car without a radio in it. But of course, that ruined my story. I wanted the I wanted Britain's cheapest car, uh, not the Britain's cheapest car plus a radio of car. That you could but buy. I, I kind of loved it. I loved being, uh, without being an insight into my slightly perverse brain, but the, there was, uh, I loved the sort of classlessness of being autocar editor and driving around in, in a Dacia Sandero. It, it appealed to my sense of humour. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm driving around in a hydrogen, high, uh, a Hyundai iX35, the, the fuel cell car at the moment. Uh, and, and that uh, stirs stirs my uh, my enthusiasm greatly because I, I love all this future looking stuff. I love uh, putting putting uh, that kind of car through uh, everyday life and just finding out just how good it can be. Um, I I'm trying to think of other cars I've loved. Uh, the, the Zoe uh, I could wax lyrical about and bore people to death about uh, if needs be. Uh, I you, you may notice a distinct lack of supercars coming out of my mouth and, and uh, you yeah, know I, I love them but i i you know i'll take one for an evening or for 48 hours but i'm usually pretty relieved to give it back in one piece uh and and they are far quicker than my talents generally so so you know I, I, in short doses they're fabulous but but as as experiences are you know for over months uh, and years it's probably probably Dacia, the 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 Renault Zoe and, and this Hyundai that have really floated my boat. Well, I know Alan was very impressed with the Hyundai uh, when he had it for a weekend, mm. and he felt, apart from the left-hand driveness of it, that yep. it was perfect for London driving. Yeah, I uh, because there the aren't... ease of it. It's very exactly that, and and I was following a Bentley the other day, uh, and and I thought there aren't many things I've got on you, mate. But but the one thing I've got is my that powertrain. It's such a luxurious powertrain, just to be able to, uh, you know, back to that instant talk, the silent travel. Uh, it's just very super smooth. It's very calming. Uh, there's something quite quite compelling about it. 
do you think uh, Hydrogen's going to be a, another player? Yeah, I do. Uh, I appreciate uh, I'm standing in the face of Elon Musk, who has a far better track record of being right than I ever do. And he is insistent that Hydrogen will never never um, play a role. But uh, I just think it's quite a compelling case there. Um not just from a from a pure uh, engineering point of view, but from a from a sort of governmental and organisational point of view, it fits into our lives. You can refuel in three minutes. Mm. Uh, if the governments want to tax that fuel, they can do it at the pump, uh, which obviously is not so easy with electricity. Uh, there's, there's a growing case for it, and it's quite a compelling case, uh, I would argue. Yeah, I th- I think it's. Uh, I don't think we're going to have one final solution in the future i think there's going to be a few that we can utilize depending on the situation and what our needs are which i think which i think is really interesting yeah um sorry i've i have well i made it nearly a few questions down Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um well you've probably touched on this already but what would uh what car would you like to own next oh um i uh this can be if uh, the money tree at the bottom of the garden suddenly blossomed massively, uh, or it could be what you actually would spend your money on. What I would actually spend my money on. I, I'm uh, I'm always conflicted. This is the, the sort of dream garage type question as well. Mm. And, and I never quite know when, when that money deposits in my account. I'm going to learn an awful lot about myself because <laughs> I'll, I'll find out what I really, really am like, whether I'm a, whether I'm a Lamborghini man or a or a ever so sensible something else. Um, my my next car, uh, the the car I most like to go back to is is the Morgan Plus Eight that I had for a period, um, because it was kind of wonderfully modern, old school, complete pain. You know, I forever had warning lights flashing on, but but what a car and what an engine in that car. Um, <laughs> Just, just very special, and, and I don't know. There, are, there are some people who who would look at it and think, you know, you, you I just don't want to know about that car, and I'm not interested. And it's, it's kind of not, not modern, not fashionable, etc., etc., etc. And I, I think it would be the car that I would most dream of owning. Yeah, well, not had that one before. So that's nice. There you are. Uh, what is your favourite road to drive on? If you can reveal that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I was thinking about this, uh, and 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 there are all the obvious candidates, but the the road I learnt to drive on was between uh, the M3 uh, and in and sort of the Winchester Junction down to uh, Bishop's Waltham, and I can't actually tell you the name of the road, but it's a kind of winding country road uh, down to to a place called Fairham, uh, and. It was a super super road to learn to drive on. It was it was probably too quick and, and a little bit hairy in places, but exactly what a enthusiastic young driver probably needed to both uh, learn how to drive, but also to scare themselves enough that they don't didn't drive too quickly. Uh, so some good country lanes in Hampshire, uh, and that would be my favourite. Okay, excellent. So, what has been the most pointless optional extra you've experienced? <laughs> um. I I once had a car, and I can't actually, this is a terrible confession, I can't remember which one, which had a, something called an ionizer, 
uh, and uh, it may have been one of the early Zoe's actually. Um, and and I think you could even choose your fragrance. And mm. I, I, I was, I, I mean, why? I know it's an electric car and it's meant to be making you know, everything ever, we all breathe in uh, so much better. But uh, uh, no, that, that that one completely passed me by. I had no idea why I was doing that or certainly why I was hunting around for packs of perfume to, to put into my car. <laughs> the mind boggles, yeah. What's wrong, what's wrong with the traditional pine tree off the, off the river? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> they do all sorts of flavours. What, what could be better? <laughs> You're not you're not meant to eat them, are you? No, no. no. <laughs> not usually, not unless you're stuck on the M25. <laughs> After a few hours, anything will do. It's either that or your own leg. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, after speaking to you, who do you think I should uh, talk to next? Oh goodness, uh, I think you. Well, I don't know. Uh, I think you should. I think you should go motorsporty. You should find someone super high profile in the motorsport world who, one of one of the retired drivers who who's mellowed a bit and is now willing to talk. And so uh, maybe find yourself a Damon Hill or someone. He, I don't know if you've read his book, but uh, that is probably the best motorsport book I've I've read. With very a man of huge depths and intelligence and uh sort of stands against a lot of the, the driving stereotypes so I'm, I'm a huge fan of his so so give him a call i'm sure he'll answer your phone right yes well uh, that that is aiming high okay uh, i will give that a stab <laughs> um so uh, obviously after this uh this chat people who don't follow you already will want to want to keep in touch so what will be the best way to follow what you do uh, buy buy the magazine or read the website. Uh, I am on Twitter, Jim underscore Holder. Uh, but the I will say this: the we get an awful lot of requests for jobs and an awful lot of requests for uh, work experience, and it always <laughs> deeply irritates me. You should be able to find my email. So uh, if you read what what we do, go find my email. Don't don't tweet me. Don't DM me. Uh, don't uh, maybe I'm making myself sound like a dinosaur, but just just. Find my email and uh, um, prove that you adore uh, our titles and then ask for a job uh, because I will believe you that bit more. Well, I'm glad that email was the way I did approach you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I suspected that approaching you via Twitter was not the correct approach. Not not in any particular bad way, but I just thought, no, that wasn't the right way to, to approach. So I'm I, glad I sound like I, I wear tweed and I'm incredibly formal. No, no. I, I, don't, I don't mind a DM, but I think if you want the job, you, you're going to have to yeah, have you, to work a bit harder. Yeah, you need to show that, that you've, <laughs> you've got some investigation. <laughs> skills yeah yeah exactly exactly right well thank you so much for uh, talking to me this evening um and i don't want to take up uh, any more of your time because um you have to oversee three large large titles uh, and interfere as you feel that you should <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no but uh, it's been it's been great to talk to you i've been dying to get um to get you on because i you know like i said i like i asked you i wanted to know whether you were clinically insane for starters yeah uh, <laughs> now you know but yes <laughs> uh, no you 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 passed that test you're all right you, you didn't answer you, oh yeah, yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> um but it, it i just think it's uh i, I love reading well produced stuff uh and i think that editors play such an important part in in that and having never been exposed to an editor i'm 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 always uh, keen to pick their brain and go what what do you think it means what 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 is it um so thank you so much for uh, 
for chatting to me uh, and going through your car history as well. Uh, and um, I, I thoroughly applaud of the car that you have at the moment. I think that's a great choice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it uh, very much. Thank you very much. And uh, hopefully uh, everyone else will too. But uh, yeah, there we are. I've enjoyed it. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks once again to Jim for coming on Rearview and chatting to me. I hope you all found that as fascinating as I did. If you want to suggest someone I should ask to come on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearviewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it in Motoring Podcast Towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you like to keep up to date with motoring news and opinions, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Do remember our Audible offer, available at motoringpodcast.com forward slash support, which, if taken up, helps the Motoring Podcast and what we produce. I will also ask for you to leave a rating on iTunes, or however your podcast app lets you do this, as it really does make a difference to the show, and it lets me know that you appreciate what we're trying to make here. So until next time, that was Jim Holder, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.